Well, it's time to go back to another album focus. Hey, John, welcome back to Out of the Main. Thank you. You don't sound very excited. Um, oh, okay. Hold Rough on. day. Hold on. It's time to go back to oh, an oh, album focus. Oh, oh my oh, god. My. Woo. All right. Somewhere in between. Oh, all right. Well, I'm not starting again. All right. Uh, yeah. So we are going perhaps back to the beginning in some ways, but at least in the way that you put it at some point. I think that's been argued that this might be the beginning. Yep. And by that, we mean specifically Bob Skaggs. Did I call him Bob? You did. <laughs> Boz Skaggs. <laughs> Silk Degrees. Yeah, Silk Degrees, 1976. That is the official first year of Yacht Rock, according to uh, the founders. Um, there's probably things we can look at that, say, built towards this. But in a lot of ways, this album kind of represents almost the book of Genesis in terms of Yacht mm. Rock. I mean, so many things about it are what eventually grew into Yacht Rock, don't you think? Well, yeah, and you kind of made that point um during our hot takes, hot takes yep. episode, where right. you said this is actually the sort of ground zero as opposed to Asia. I did. I did. Yeah, that's right. Because it was um, prior to that, and it kind of represented the whole, let's bring in these studio musicians, uh, the Toto guys in uh, mass, and that, that became the big thing. Um, so we have a couple things by the numbers. Columbia Records, 1976, the album peaked at number two. Mm-hmm. Spent 115 weeks on the Billboard 200. It was his seventh album, went five times platinum, and had four singles. All three are on side two. Well, you said he had four singles, but all three were on side two. And I'm no three, mathematician. Excuse me. The best three are all on side two. The top three, right? I would, I think so. Okay. Um, they did have a single. Uh, which one was that? What can I say was a single, but I don't know that it did it, a ton. It peaked at 42. Okay. So yeah. it wasn't top 40, technically. There you go. Or, or even non-technically. Again, I'm not yeah. a mathematician. Yeah, right. right. One thing that stuck out of me, but out of those numbers, the tail of the tape, you said this was his seventh album. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't realize that he started his recording career in 1968 or something yeah, like I that. I didn't realize that really either. He I'll goes way back. And he had a time where he was with Steve Miller Band? Yes. As a permanent member? Yes. That I did know. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that would have been kind of the peak Steve Miller era? No, that would that'd be the, the early, early stuff, probably okay. mid to very late 60s. So now, I don't want to get too off track here, but what was his role? He was a guitarist. Guitar and probably backup singer, I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right, so back to 76, where we've got this gem yes. of a record. So um, Boz received Grammy nominations for Album of the Year, Best LP Packaging, I like that, Whoa. Uh, Best Pop Vocal by a Male, and best R&B vocal performance by a male, and that was for Lowdown. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, personnel, because you said going back to this uh, this notion that this is ground zero. Yeah. So you've got David Hungate right. and Jeff Picaro, I believe, on every track. Mm-hmm. David Page, pretty much probably on every, on every track, track in some form or another. Yes. He's got a ton of credit, so let me just read those real quick. Acoustic piano, doing arrangements. Uh, Clavinet, Fender Rhodes, Moog Synthesizer, ARP Synthesizer, Mini Moog, Hammond Organ, Wolitzer Electric Piano. He's really got them all covered there. And harpsichord. Yeah, and you get you, um, you can't forget that I learned this actually from the Bill Schnee book. The Bill Schnee book talked about how Boz, uh, his sort of his process was that he wanted to have a co-writer. Mm-hmm. on stuff. And the co-writer's job was sort of to come up with harmonic ideas, chords, riffs, things like that, and kind of play them for Boz. And if Boz kind of gravitated towards one, he would say, hey, that right there, let's let's work that out. And they would become co-writers in that way. This album, his co-writer was David Page. Now, he doesn't 
credit on every single song, but David Page is sort of his right-hand man on this, whereas when we get to Middleman, it was David Foster, mm. which is what Sinead was referencing back, that David Foster became the writing partner because there was some sort of falling out with Page. I don't exactly know what it was, but... Um, so Page is the primary Toto guy on this album, despite the fact that, as you said, Hungate and Jeff are on every song as well. And it's not listed as such, but wouldn't you consider then in that role that Page is sort of a quasi-producer? If you're arranging yes. in your writing? Yes. Yeah. So interestingly enough, and uh, the other thing of note on personnel is no Steve Lukather on this record. Nope, but there's a story involving this record and Steve Lukather, which we will get to. Ooh, okay. That's what you call a cliffhanger? I think that's foreshadowing. Oh, that's foreshadowing. Okay, onomatopoeia is coming next. Yeah. Room. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got on this record? So I'll, uh, I'll just, tell you my overall impression. Yeah, that's what and I was going And then you can next. get a little more bookwormy than I okay. maybe. I'll just talk about the feels. So here's my whole thing on Boss Gags. First of all, before I got into Yacht Rock, which was about, what, 2015 or so? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you would have asked me in 2014, who's Boss Gags and do you like them? I would be, mm-hmm. Lido Shuffle would come to mind. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, eh, that's not really my thing. It's kind of classic Rocky. Mm-hmm. That's just my feels. Like, I had no idea that there was this quote-unquote yachty side to him, which in this record, I think, comes and goes. So I take this whole record, I look at it, and I look at every song, and I'm thinking, is this Yacht Rock or is this the other thing? Yeah. And so we'll come back to that. Yeah, I kind of wanted to look at this record purely for what it was. I know that we can't avoid the Yacht Rock question because it's kind of what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. If I were to answer that question, the more time I spend with this record, it's more of much more of a proto-yacht sound than a true yacht sound. There are all kinds of things in this that I think are disqualifiers for yacht, but I would say that the building blocks of, of Yacht Rock are here. I mean, overall, it you know, there's a heavy dose of Motown and mm. Phil Spector, that wall of sound influence. I mean, lots of strings, classic Hollywood-style swoony strings, and then you've got the glockenspiel on top of the strings to give you some glitter to that leading voice. Yeah. You know, these are all things that are much more of a Phil Spector kind of approach than than you know something that I would call yacht rock. You know, and if strings get you thrown off the boat, you know, oh big strings, if they get you thrown off the boat, which we've heard, then this one belongs down in uh, Davy Jones' locker, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Well, let's get two dings for that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. But the other thing is like prevalent, again, I'll call it classic rock vibes because it's more of like a kind of a dirtier guitar at points. And there's tons of straight shuffle, and you've brought this up mm-hmm. in the past. When I hear, maybe it's because you planted the seed, but now maybe. when I hear straight shuffle, it doesn't feel like yacht rock to me. I have a general distaste for straight shuffle. I don't know why. Me too. And it's funny because Jeff Percaro always said that he hated playing shuffles because he wasn't any good at them. Now, I, I think I, I'm not sure if that planted the seed in me. Um, but I only recently read that. But for some reason, the, the shuffle thing, I don't know, never really turned me on. But I would say rhythmically, though, that is the one thing. I would say some of the, the underscore rhythm part is definitely the basis of Yacht Rock. And, of course, we've got Hungate yeah. and Jeff Percaro, and I'm talking about that more than anything else. The grooves that they set are Yachty. A lot of what's going on on top, I think, is a little bit of a disqualifier. Hmm. Interesting. That's a good way. I hadn't thought of it that way until you put it that way. Um, 
Well, maybe can we just at least segue into track one? Because my initial impression was, all right, now I'm sitting down to actually study this Mm -hmm. album as a host of a co-host of a Yacht Rock podcast. And so maybe I'm sort of just looking at it through that prism, whereas you said you try to kind of not think in those terms. But I hear a song that starts out. And it's like, this doesn't sound very yachty. And then to your point just a minute ago, then it kicks into the groove. Let's hear some of this intro, and then it kicks into the groove, and then it sounds super yachty. 3 a.m. is me again, wouldn't know. Would so unlike uh, the Steely Dan records that we looked at that kind of start sort of like indifferent, mm-hmm. would be, you know, this one comes in power right out of the gate, yep. right? It does. And, uh, but for me, again, like it's just a little bit of a curveball there. Like it's starting this way, and then it's got the kind of yachty groove. But when we go back to the verse groove, and I'm going to hit that again, it does. That is what I meant by has the yacht feel. You've got that doom, do doom bass thing going from Hungate and Jeff's groove. That is quintessentially yacht. After all this time now. But now we get to the big chorus, and the strings come in, and the glockenspiel comes in. Like all of a sudden, we're in Phil Spector area. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Then we hear a pretty yachty sax solo by Plaz Johnson. Then it's back on the boat. Yeah, I love the uh, the way that it changes the key and all that, and the, the whole key center for the sax solo. That's something that um, we see again later. But that that's a cool move. Um, super strong, super strong vocal performance on this one as well, I think. Yeah, I do too. So this, I think, I wanted to get into this one because yeah. it's emblematic of what you said and what I said at the same time is that if there's Yacht Rock underpinnings, but what's b- above the surface, mm-hmm. maybe singing a different tune. Ooh. And looking at it pure musically, I like that it's a really nice, concise, short musical idea. It gets in, it mm-hmm. does what it needs to do, and it gets and out. this is the single that peaked at 42. I don't remember this being a single back then. I don't either. The, but I was I six But years I wasn't old. listening to this kind of stuff of that back then either. So if you said the other three singles were on side two, right. that means track two was not ever a single, but it's a staple of yeah. kind of the mainstream Yacht Rock. Yeah, or, I didn't see it listed as a single anywhere. Nor did I, but we're, we're talking, talking about Georgia. Georgia. Again, another strong, upbeat track. Very Motown, very Philly, very, you know, heavy string influence throughout, you know? Yep. And it's more of a, what I would call anyway, a straight groove as opposed to anything with any kind of bounce in it. Um, but it's got these nice horn arrangements that are going back and yeah. forth. And I think it's one of his most interesting vocal performances, especially I want to play the chorus here. And note the way that he is able to go from his chest voice up into his falsetto and back down really seamlessly. Georgia, we will be together now, not a lot of singers can really do that that well. I mean, Daryl Hall comes to mind and Kenny Loggins. Yeah, but but that's a special move to be able to do that. Yep. You know? Well, way off the map. You know who was really good at that? Hmm. was the lead singer of Crowded House. <laughs> Way off the map. It's <laughs> not even wow. in the same hemisphere, okay. north or south, east or west. But anyway, it's a skill, and that's why I note the people that can do it. So you're absolutely right. Um, again, I'm looking through this through a prism of, like, yacht or not, even though I'm not supposed to be. And back then, they had no way of, like, 
trying to do right. this, but right. it's like, all right, what sound are they going for here? And this, to me, this song, like I said, is played a lot in the Yacht Rock circles, but is it Yacht Rock to you? I put it no. at 49.9999999998. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, first of all, I don't go that many decimals in my rating. I know. You should. Secondly, I probably give it even half of that rating. Really? Yeah. So yeah, it's I not mean, Yachty I at all. I love this song. Yeah, I love me it, too. But it's not Yachty at all to me. Yeah. Um, I do love, you know, the, the end again. One of the Toto things is how that they have always have something in mind or something special they deliver on the end. You know, they get the guts mm. of the song. And then once they feel they're near the end or even past what would be the fade, how they have a little bit of fun. But the outro of this, uh, particularly Porcaro's drumming, I mean, he just takes off and goes nuts. And there, there's a lot of cool stuff thrown in by Boz, too. It's clear they're having fun with this one. Going back to what you said about Phil Spector and Motown, mm-hmm. and the overall feel of this, if, if you take out Lowdown, like, I don't, we always talk about pristine recording. It's nice. It's also early. It's 76. It's not, like, super-duper clean and breathy like Asia. No, it, it feels like live band in a room. It doesn't feel like it's gone through the polish machine. Yeah. Again, we can't hold them accountable to something that didn't exist when they were recording. That's right? true. That, <laughs> that is true, Kath. In 76, yeah. and a lot of that probably started to happen 77, 78. I mean, right. they're right at the front end of this. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm ready to move on to track the third. Ooh, Jump Street. Yes. What do you got on this one? And note the funky groove that Paige lays down on the piano on this one. This one makes you feel like you're swimming in glue. I mean, that tugs back and forth. What a, I don't even know what to call that in terms of a shuffle. It's hard for me to define. There's so much, like, swampiness. It's that gumbo Orleans sound. Well, this goes back to what I thought Boz Skaggs was in the back of my head, like a song like this. So if you would have asked me again before I knew all of his other stuff, I'd say, nah. It's not my thing. But, I mean, you got slide guitar in this one. And that's where the story comes from. Oh. So, um... The slide player on that Les Do deck. This is how Lukather, we covered this really briefly in the Lukather book. This is how Lukather got connected to uh, Boz. And it was the, when they were going to tour on this album, Les Do deck, apparently, according to Boz, did not do his due diligence and learn any of the songs from this album because this is the only song that he plays on. Mm. So he never bothered to learn anything else. <laughs> and, of course, they're touring on the record. Like, and, he knew he was going to be the touring guitarist at the yeah, time? Yeah, because they were at rehearsals, and it was like, you know, didn't know the tune. So Boz took him outside. I don't know if they, you know, called him to the teak, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> called him to the carpet. But mm-hmm. they had it, had it out in the hallway, and Boz came back in and said, well, I guess I— uh, I don't have a lead guitarist anymore. And Steve Lukather had already gotten the gig as the second guitar to be the rhythm guitar player. Is, is he there in the room? And he's in the room. Jeff Percaro gets up from behind the drums and says, yeah, you do, and he's right there. And he points to Lukather, who's young at the time. He might have been 2021 at the time. Mm-hmm. And Boz says, all right, l- let's see what you can do. And the band kicks into this tune. First of all, Lukather you know, says, this is... This, I don't play slide, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, that song is probably not the most representative of what I would bring, but here it is. I get one shot. He said, so I just decided I'm going to do what I do. I did my thing through the whole tune. And when they were done, Boz simply said, well, I guess I don't need to find a lead guitarist after all. Nice. <laughs> and so a relationship was, uh, well, it had already been formed, but it blossomed at that point. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that story now. I forgot it was this yeah. tune. Um, going back to the, the the core guys, like 
you mentioned this, but I just want to reiterate this. The shows the versatility, I think, of those three core guys being Paige, Picaro, and Hungate. Uh, and Hungate. Right. Because they're playing a lot of different styles on this short little record. Yeah, only three songs in. And, and they really do the it first really well. two are similar, but this is a completely different And area. there will be more to come right. that are different. So it just shows that they can pull off a lot of different things, and that's probably why they became such sought-after session cats. And then the other uh, thing to take away is, whoa, here comes the uh, surprise tack on ending again. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the Check two. Check it out. Here it comes. Look out, fool! We think this guitar chord's going to hang forever, but wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that song's over, yep. and that leads us to track four. And I think there's no mistake that this song is sequenced next. It's called it, What Do You Want the Girl to Do? Written by Alan Toussaint, who is a legend of New Orleans sound songwriting. So I think putting this on the backside of Jump Street with that gumbo feel, I think, makes sense. Yeah, it does. This is another one where, again, this is what I thought Boss Gags was, yeah. you know, kind of rough rocker. and. This album, when you think, I think in most sort of tight-knit yacht rock groups, they hold this up as like one of the, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're four songs in, and we've got maybe one and a half yacht rock tunes in it. Um, not that it matters right, in the grand scheme of things, but um, it's just, I keep making that observation because I'm not sure what yeah. this album is exactly. This song hints like it wants to go there because it starts with the uh, halftime shuffle in the intro. And then all of a sudden, here come the Hollywood strings into a full shuffle, and you're like, yeah. "But then uh, it comes back to the halftime shuffle, which it, it does. It sets it up perfectly. It alternates it back and forth. That's why on this one, I'm forty nine point nine 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 nine. Ooh, because it's got the halftime shuffle. Mm. Um, I also think uh, these nice little sax. You know, Jim Horn's playing some kind of counter melodies yeah, in the sax yeah, that yep. yachtifies it and prettifies it. In my, you know, whether it's yacht or not, I think it, it makes it a nice little. Interplay. I like the, um, the the writing technique that, um, and I'll play it here, that we're, we're in that straight shuffle, right? And mm-hmm. then we get to this pre-chorus, and it just stays on this one chord for a long time. Stays, 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 stays. And then finally it opens up and releases into the wonderful halftime shuffle big chorus. It's beautiful. Check it out. She waits for you patiently, hoping that someday you'll see So three general observations about this okay. song uh, that come to mind. One is you do have some Babylon sisters kind of singing in the background quite oh, yeah. a few times. Yeah. You notice that? <laughs> You're right. Um, that's one. The other is just the horns overall. Me, I mean, like you said, they're reminiscent of a Motown thing. But then there's nice horns arrangement, horn arrangements mm-hmm. throughout this record. Mm-hmm. Third is uh, – I start to hear every once in a while some Bobby Caldwell in the vocal. Ooh. Starting with this song, and maybe because the opening kind of sounds like it could be a Bobby Caldwell tune, but put a pin in that, and you yeah, don't have I to put it that. in there long. I can hear that connection, absolutely. Never thought of it, but yes. All right. Uh, you ready to move on to the final track? Yes. As side one. How many times have we pointed this out? I'll let you the, point it out. The last track on side one, so often in the uh, vinyl record era, 
is a quiet ballad. Yeah. Right? And, and this, this is no different. Harbor Lights. Yeah, in this going back, since I just mentioned it, I'll bring it back. I really start to hear the Bobby Caldwell on this one. There's a ballad that Bobby Caldwell has that I had to get out of my Yacht Rock mix, and I can't remember what it was. It's just super kind of, you know, that yep. type of thing. And so I'm starting to hear that yep. in this tune. But I love this tune. It's a, it's a sweet ballad. Yeah, it took a while for it to grow on me, but it's one of those songs that is intentionally kind of slow rolling. I mean, even that intro, those real deep, jazzy Rhodes chords. And if you put this on in headphones and you can really feel the tremolo going back and forth between the two ears. I mean, obviously David Page, it probably wouldn't surprise me if he's making that up on the fly. Bob says, mm. okay, give me some intro. And he's, <laughs> yeah, it eventually settles into the chords. And it's really, really sweet. Yeah. You do definitely, you hear some jazz elements in this, probably out of any tune at least that I can recall on this record. It's got more of the jazzy elements. You mentioned them. Yeah. Um, There's lots of nice passing chords and things happening throughout this. Yep. And that's that's the Page influence. So, you know, yeah, you know, is he an arranger? Is he a co-writer? Is he a producer? It's kind of all of that when you're adding that stuff into the mix. Yep. I, it's funny because I thought as I was listening to this, just in the jazzy parts, I'm like, am I starting to hear some Steely Dan? And mm-hmm. then near the end. I think so. You got Chuck Finley on the flugelhorn coming in to play the outro solo. Yeah, I was going to get there, but now that we're there, yeah, here's that trick ending again with suddenly, boom, it's a jazz track. Sounds like Spyrogyra now here on the <laughs> outro. Is this Bossa Nova? But you know what? That it, it, Even saving the flugelhorn thing for the end like that, you know, we're all the way at the end of side one. They're, they're not discarding anything. All of the music matters. All the parts matter. All the pieces matter. All the seconds and minutes matter. You know? Which is what made me think or hearken to Steely Dan around that same era. It's like yeah. they're going to explore some weird things, different things, but it's it's all in the purpose of servicing a tune and creating an album. I wish there was more of that yeah. kind of thing on yeah. this record. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. Okay. All right. I was told there'd be no math. It's not math. Oh, good. Um, go back at your leisure and listen to this song with only one thing. Just listen to the bass. Mm. It is an incredible, uh, some of the things, the moves and the slides and the little chords and the things that, that Hungate does on this for a ballad, it's just so perfectly executed. Right. But but it's unique at, at the same time. I mean, the guy was special. All right. I will do that. Um, if you will answer the following question. Okay. As, are we experiencing some Trojan horse lyrics with the Harbor Lights? Well, I think so. I think we've got a Trojan horse on the cover, too, because he's sitting in front of a body of water, and I'm not sure he's comfortable on that bench. So there is some Trojan horse in here. Even before the horse was even built, we have a Trojan horse. <laughs> is that the Grammy-nominated uh, cover art? Isn't that what you said? Well, it said packaging. Oh, so packaging. I don't know what was inside and whether it was a, a gatefold version made or anything like that. So um, I'll just point out I have one little snippet of trivia. Okay. That front cover photograph was by, I don't know how you say this, Mo- Moshi Braca. But he Skaggs is at Casino Point in Avalon, California. Okay. So that's pretty yachty. Yeah. Um, and that concludes side one. And if you're just getting in the move for some yacht rock, have we got a side two for you. 
Yeah, it seems like that whole first side comes to that nice quiet close and it's setting you up for the the wham bam of the uh, Yacht Rock Slam, right? No doubt. Now this is the one that uh, Jeff Picaro played uh, the second hi-hat overdub on. Which was kind of a, yeah, if you listen closely to it, um, the hi-hat that's in the right channel, assuming your hookup, that everything hooked up right, in the right channel is kind of playing quarter notes and it's part of the main groove. You can feel because it goes away like when he does drum fills and then comes back in. But to the left side, he's got the 16th note pattern that he was asked to do as an overdub. And I remember reading it in the book from what I, my takeaway on that was that he didn't really like it. He didn't like the idea. I think maybe it was because they were thinking of adding some disco influence or dance influence, and he didn't feel the groove needed. I, I don't know what it was. Hmm. But it also comes up again in the Schnee book where Bill Schnee talks about how Jeff pointed this out to him at one point about some cool trick that he did. So apparently he grew to like it ah, over time. Yeah. you know. Well, I've grown to like it. Yes. Um, I th- there's a great way to open side two, going back to that old canard that we talk about, mm-hmm. is kicking off side two. Um, again, probably the yachtiest of the yacht songs on here. Um, it's funny because I was like, now this is Yacht Rock. Whenever I hear this song, yes. I'm like, this is Yacht Rock. This and JoJo yeah. gives me the same kind of feels. And I'm thinking, all right, what would I give this one? Off the top of my head, I said, I don't know, like a 90. And I looked it up. I bet it's nowhere near that high. It's 89. Oh, is it yeah. really? Somebody gave it a 97 out of the group, Ooh. I think. So they wow. thought it was Yachty. But well, it's um, got the classic punctuated Hungate bass on this one, doesn't it? it I sure mean, that does. is the definitive yep. thing. I wondered if the, um, the flute bits in there would have... Uh, Knocked it down a few points. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Breezin', though. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that allowed it to stay in. Yeah. This is the one that peaked at number three on the Billboard. Yeah, and it's a little atypical because it doesn't have the big, big chorus. It's kind of the same riff over and over and over again for a while. And then they just kind of change up the melody. The girls come in with the wonder, wonder, wonder thing, and he kind of answers. But it's not like there's some buildup to some big chorus. No, exactly. And this would, remember we talked about how Lukather learned a lot from Boz. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, Toto was this, and Toto yeah. learned from Skaggs. Right. Um what you just mentioned is I do hear that same thing, but I also hear that in like 99, Toto's 99, yeah, and yeah. Um, Georgie Porgy a little bit. I mean, yep. they have that little vamp at the end, Agreed. but it's, it's just kind of like, let's do a nice groove, and we'll get some sweet solos over them. And they have enough melodic sensibility that they're able to take what is essentially the same groove forever and, and build different parts out of it. Um, but when it does change, see, now you stay on that forever, mm-hmm. you know, you're into it, you're getting it, and then the bridge comes and there's this sudden change to a whole new key center, a whole new feel, and because you've been on that first groove for so long, the impact of this is all the much sweeter. Now we're back to the main groove here after that little bridge thing. And now the guitar solo comes up and we go to an entirely new sonic area. Check it. Well, yeah, and that, uh, I mean, no offense to anyone who played on the record, but that could have really benefited from a Luke the Ripper right there. I know. <laughs> I, I looked it up, and uh, it doesn't say specifically who played it, but it, it comes down to either Boz played it himself, yep. which would be my first guess, or Fred Tackett, who mm. was the um, other guitar player, Little Feet. Uh, ah, yeah. Okay. So, Mr. Bass Player. I that wonder, me? That would be you. Yeah. So, have you noticed what 
well, I'll just play it for you and I'll point it out. Hungate on this bridge section that comes back, notice the chords that he's playing in the upper structures. And then when he comes out of it, suddenly he's playing an entirely different bass groove over the main groove. Check it out. Yeah, that's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, so he goes into that entirely different groove for the end, even though the rest of the groove is the same. Yeah, that, yeah. Clever, clever. Just, a, you know, adding that extra lift. Well, it adds a little more movement. Yep. And, yeah, everything's kind of crescendoing. Yep, yep. Great track, great, great track, yep. man. There's Very so good. many details and nuances in here. I don't feel we can cover all of them. I know. The only other thing I will say about it is it's. it sounds like it's starting to borrow Disco elements with that uh, that left track with the double hi hat constantly yeah. and the high swooning strings, uh, and those the, flutey it, things too. I think all yeah, disco, right. yeah, and that's what makes I think yacht rock. We talked about it. It's interesting because it borrows from all of these different mm-hmm. things, including disco. So, well, it's over. No, not yet. That's, oh no, no, no. The next song is it's over. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. me, I feel like we're back to 49.999998 because it's kind of got a Georgia vibe to me. What do you think? It does. This one very much reminds me of Georgia. Almost like it makes me think that they put Georgia early on the album and then this one on side <laughs> two, so you wouldn't connect the two. Right. Uh, it's written by Skaggs and Page. This is the one they wrote together. It's, again, it's back to that Motown Philly sound. Um, Glock. That Glockenspiel is yeah. back leading the strings. So, so all of that stuff is back here. This is another song that Every once in a while, it goes into a halftime, not a shuffle, right? but just a halftime. And those, those breaks coming out of the choruses, maybe we can listen to a little of that. And of course, I'm always listening to the drummer. Right? Yeah, so I especially this that, drummer. Yeah, I notice that he's, every time he hits the snare on the two and four, he's hitting a rack tom at the same time. Yep. I know it's something that Don Henley used to do a lot. So yeah. I don't know if that's a trick to make your snare sound fatter or if there was some other reason, but it works. Well, to me, like it punctuates the end of a phrase. So every other snare, like the two snare, you're not hitting it, right? So no, he was hitting my was two it every time? Four, yeah. yeah. Okay. Other than when he's doing fills, I yeah. noticed it. Yeah. Okay. So obviously it was a very intentional decision oh, from the beginning. Yep. This one also has the uh, occasionally some call and answer from the Babylon sisters, I like to call them. I think as I was looking up the credit, it's the, all the female voices are one vocalist. They must have mm. tracked. Mm. I noticed he's uh, credited as backups too, so maybe him in falsetto along with her. Yeah. Um, yeah, my note was, you know, again, it's a nice, short, quick, effective track, but I sort of feel like I've heard all the elements before earlier in the album. Uh, on what song, you say you? Well, I mean, Georgia. Like, yeah, Georgia, I guess mostly on Georgia, yeah. Well, here's the thing, though. It's so still, th- in and of itself, it's a really nice tune. This was released as a single. I don't know that I've ever heard of it until the last year no. or two, but Georgia, I knew like the back of my head, and then was never yeah. released as a single. Hmm. So, What do you make of that? Maybe they're both the same song? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, no, just that I, it's weird that, uh, that Georgia gets so much play here, there, and everywhere. It does. And this song uh, does not. Well, let's move on. Okay. Uh, we have a Page composition here, Love Me Tomorrow. A little bit of reggae influence on this one. Yeah. It's 
so you hear right in that opening drum fill that you know Percaro is playing the timbali things yep. and everything is very very reggae influenced and you know with everything that we've heard before almost like I said on the last song that I feel like I've heard this all before mm-hmm. this is a nice refreshing change yep. you know new feel new sound new groove everything yep and again that, again this goes back to showing the versatility of the, the main core players the rhythm section and page yeah especially man on this song I my takeaway on this one was that how good the feel was with Hungate and Jeff. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that, that's always the case. But this one was even a level above. Some really nice uh, bass tricks, if you kind of listen through the through to that. Seems like he goes to a... Um, well, the bass gets more percussive in the outro. Maybe I'll play a little bit of that. And um, He might be thumbing it. I don't hear him popping, but he might be thumbing it. Um, but again, he's saving it for the outro. Check it out. There's times where I wonder if he's picking, yeah, you know, with an actual pick because that was kind of in vogue back then. Yeah, it's I don't very know if he's sounding, and maybe that's what he's doing. Yeah, maybe grabbed a pick. I yeah. don't know, but it, it's definitely more percussive. It's definitely intentional. Yep. Well, that's that's again, that's a breath of fresh air because it's one that I haven't heard much at all before, and then it comes out of nowhere as being a reggae vibe. So, well. Anything more on that one, or shall we move on to Lido Shuffle? Let's move on to Lido Shuffle. A quick note on that one is that this one did go to number 11. Goes to 11. Um, so it didn't do as well on the charts as Lowdown, mm-hmm. but as of today, it still has significantly more uh, Spotify spins, so perhaps this is one that's had longer life. Mm. Or more diverse listener. I wonder know. if it's just more recognizable and Maybe iconic. Maybe some more compilations. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. yeah. This is an example of one of those songs, by the way, that uh, Boz tells the story. He said, I took the idea of the shuffle from a song that Fats Domino did called mm-hmm. The Fat Man. <laughs> and that kind of driving shuffle beat that I used to play in the piano, and I just started singing over it. And then I showed it to Paige, and he helped finish it off. And that's what ended up becoming Little Shuffle. Yeah, I can hear the Fats Domino thing when it kicks in and you hear the horns. The horns are decidedly a lot of low saxes and stuff like that, which would be reminiscent maybe of Mm -hmm. the 50s era. Yep. You know, that always had the tenor sax player in there playing underneath, you know. Um, I I noticed that there's like a, a, this is a very subtle move, but listening on the intro... There's a tiny little delay on the snare drum, a one triplet note. So instead of tick, tick, you hear tit, tit, mm. tit yeah, on I'd... each snare, and it kind of fills out the groove. I imagine it's probably not there throughout the whole song because when he does fills, having that delay on it might make it sound sloppy, but it does help to set up the pulse at the beginning. I'm going to play a little of that. All right. Yeah, that's cool. I always just thought that I heard that as reverb, but there's a little delay. Yeah, it seems like it's a little delay being sent to the reverb, just Uh a little trick to get maybe fill out the groove a little bit. Yep. So this goes back to what I said about this is what I thought Boz was. Not that it's not good. I love the tune. It's just not my – hadn't been my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But so even though it's kind of off the boat for me, the band's groove is still excellent, it is. especially it is. when they do. Can you pick a section where they do all those little accent breakdowns, hit there, you know, hitting this there and everywhere, and then they get back into the groove. Said, one more time, one last shot, we quit it. 
Yeah, probably not playing with any click track there. That's, there's a lot of feel there. It's yeah. great. It's great, man. Even the chorus that, uh, the big non-vocal or non-lyric chorus, the whoa, 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 you know, which can come off cheesy sometimes. This one is just massive. It's iconic. It's perfect. And I'm assuming 1976, unless you know otherwise, they're laying down probably most of the basic tracks as a band. Mm-hmm. In I a would room, think in this probably. case, yeah. absolutely. Yep. And that kind of, you know, that's the thing that you get missing from music these days. You know, Bill Stanks yeah. had it too. Yeah. It's like, it's not the same. Yeah, because even though you can, people still don't. And I think that the uh, whole isolation of COVID has made it go even further in that direction. Uh, I had an interesting note that on verse, what well, would be verse three, um, how they fill this out with, instead of lyrics for verse three, they just kind of lay out verse three and they add in a couple layers. They add in some finger snaps and they add in these building synth arpeggios and, you know, it, it works beautifully. You know, it's nothing I would have ever thought of, but um, let's listen to a little of that. It's like a whole orchestra of synths going on there, man. It, it really builds. It crescendos. Maybe you couldn't think of lyrics, and Paige's like, I got an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Before you start thinking of them, yeah. hear this. Can't imagine Boz was short on words. No, no, no. Well, I have a whole new appreciation for that song, because I'm yeah. not trying to put it into the onto the boat. Um, which I think brings us to... To the end. The last one. We're all alone. Yeah, and... Um, now we're getting into your Bobby Caldwell area oh, yeah. because this is serious Kermit the Frog voice going on. Well, in let's this see one. if let's play a little. Tell me, does this sound like Boss Gags, Bobby Caldwell, or Outside the rain begins, and it may never end. or Kermit the Frog? Yes, or Ray Romano, Kermit the Frog, Ray <laughs> <laughs> Romano. <laughs> yeah, you really got yeah. that thing going. So. Yeah. That's kind of New Orleans-y, too. That just sounded like that was eating gumbo. Yeah. Um, that said, I think this is a beautiful ballad in an interesting way to close the album. Yeah, it really is. Um, again, big, big drums later on, big, big strings. Everything that would get you thrown off the boat. It's kind of almost, as it gets really big at the end, it, it's kind of a la Barry Manilow without the key change. <laughs> No, yeah, exactly. It really is. Yep. But um, obviously, this was not the biggest hit of the version, uh, big biggest version to become a hit from this. You know, Rita Coolidge made a massive hit out of it in um, 1977. Frankie Valley also did it in 1976. Really? Yeah. And you brought Frankie to the table yeah. before. Yeah. Frankie Valley's like in the dinghy attached to the yacht. He's not quite. Decent. Yeah. Um, now, this is a very credible magazine. Remember Cream Magazine? <laughs> So obviously, <laughs> no, that, I've never heard of it. Obviously, this is true, but um, in that, Boz stated that Michael Jackson had cut versions of "We're All Alone" and "What Can I Say." But as according to the magazine, if so, these tracks have never been released. Oh, I could say that about anything. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting that he, they chose to close both sides with these kind of ballads and you know departures. A lot of different genres and feels on this record, I think. Got some yacht. We got some classic shuffle. We've got some reggae. We've got big power ballads. That's what ballad, yeah. Mm. Yep. But overall, overall I yeah. think it's really good. If I if I now I remove the okay, is it yacht or is it yacht? Right. 
blinders or whatever. It's a good record. I it's mean, a great record. Yeah. I really like it. Um, I don't hear it, Yachty. You know, I mean, I, I know, I know it sounds like I'm harping on that. I'm not, you know, I don't mean to go back to that as a yeah, but. We should but, have but, done a middleman versus this or pick another Yachty one with Luke and then compare and contrast. Yeah. You got another 45 minutes? Um, I'd probably do it in a few months. Okay, we'll do it then. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say before we hit the lightning round? Uh, um, I think I've had enough of lightning, but... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> uh, same here. Well, let's do it anyway. Play All that right. sound effect really quietly. Yeah, well, I can't really get it any quieter, so... <laughs> All right. I can well, play it backwards. Uh, okay, let's hear that. Still not doing it. All right, let's just do this and get on with the I know uh, the day. All right, float your boat. I will begin because I have a Boz connection here. Okay. Are you familiar with Boz's uh, song called Miss Sun? It was on his greatest hits. When that was released, they needed a new, they wanted to have a new song, and so he did Miss Sun. Are you familiar with it? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it was written by David Page, so that totally connects okay. into maybe the personnel of this album. But Toto did that as well, and it appeared on a compilation that was released many years later, the XX, meaning 20 years uh, compilation. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to hit you with the Toto version and ask you what your thoughts are on Is It Floating Your Boat? All right, let's hear this. Versus just kind of plot along. Yeah, it's kind of got an Al Green feel yeah. in the verses. And then it kicks into that super yachty. That part floats my boat. That other, the second part, yeah. So that you'd say overall yes then? Yes. Because it's almost an identical arrangement to Boz's Miss Sun. And Boz's got ranked 53.75. Ooh. So there you go. All good right. call. All right. Good call. All right. I'm going to quiz you on something, speaking of which. So if you had to guess Diamond Girls by, you know, Seals of Croft. Diamond Girls, Yatsky score, what would you guess? I would guess that it's a singular girl, number one. Oh, what about Diamond Girls, the follow-up? <laughs> <laughs> no, Diamond Girl, what is it? What would you guess? What, what, what did they give it? What did they score it? Yeah. 22. They never rated it. Oh, okay. So this is kind of like, uh, you know, the debate about, uh, I don't know, right to bear arms and other confusing <laughs> language, right? <laughs> so they never rated it, but apparently they, the guys debated all the time. Oh, really? Yes. And I think based on a tweet I saw that J.D. Riznar put out that he considers it because of the Page and Picaro influence. It's wow. pre-rock, so it's 1973, <laughs> so it'd be proto, so it's yeah. too early by their own standards. Yeah. But I'm guessing you're a no. I am a no, and I could find a lot of songs that have Toto guys on it that aren't even remotely close, so I don't get that. So, yeah. Now, I'm a it's no It's got to go back to the sound well. first. Has to go to the sound first. Yes. But have you ever looked at the personnel on that record? Yes. I mean, we're talking Louis Shelton, David Page, Jim Gordon, yeah. uh, Jeff Picaro, England Dan, and John Ford Coley. Uh, but who would probably be their closest competitors at the time, <laughs> yeah, right? Both right. doing the dual dudette thing. Now, so it made me wonder what songs do they have that are on the boat. And the Longest Road album from 1980 mm-hmm. has uh, a couple tunes on it. If in any day, 
and Stars are both on the boat. So I'm looking at that personnel from 1980. Super yachty as well. It's got Lukather, uh, Stanley Clark, Chick Corea, Victor Feldman, Bob Glob. You probably already knew all this. Abe Laboreal, Dean Parks. Did you know all these guys were on this? Louis Shelton, uh, Carlos Vega, Nathan Watts. I did only because recently somebody posted one of those two songs, and I kind of never quite made it that far. I, I was buying everything I could get from Seals and Crofts, and I never ended up buying that one. I I, I, I confused it with a different album. They're, they had an album where they did a soundtrack to a movie about basketball or something where they didn't write any of the songs. They just sung them. And I kept confusing this one with it and ignored it. That said, I went back and listened to it, and I thought I would like it a lot better than I yeah, did. Yeah, there's parts that I liked and parts yeah. that were. All right, last thing on this. Okay. I just I got so infatuated with Seals of Croft uh, personnel that the Summer Breeze album from 19, what is it, 70? No, 72, I think. Listen to this. All right, so Louis Shelton again, Jim Horn, John Ford Coley, uh, Michael O'Mardian, uh, Wilton Felder, uh, Jim Keltner, Russ Kunkel, we've talked about him before. Maybe I mean, this is the book of Genesis. Marty for Page. Yeah, I mean, so Marty Page back right. then. So that's how it ties into this Boss Gags. I'm wondering yeah. if Seals and Croft are really the the Genesis. They're proto-yachters for sure. Yeah. We'll have to come back to that. So yeah, Just thought definitely. that was interesting. I was down a wormhole checking out personnel. Yeah. And, uh, I should have had better things to do. Let's move on to Buried mm-hmm. Treasures. Okay. And I'll go quick since I took up all your precious time there. I am going to submit to you a tune that was uh, put in the Facebook by listener Michael Anthony, a guy by the name of Pete Carlson, and this is from 1982, a tune called Run Aside, or sorry, it's called Run Inside, Run Inside, Pete Carlson. Now, that tune has the glossy finish on it, yes, doesn't it? it? Does. <laughs> so buried, though, I've never even heard of it. I had now. neither. But I had neither until someone posted it. I probably saw the same post you did. Yep. Listener Michael Anthony. Okay, what do you got? I have a song from the Brecker Brothers, and mm. I'm going to play it really quick, and then I'll come back to you with some uh, deets on it. And here is Brecker Brothers doing Not Tonight. <laughs> So that was from 1980, produced by George Duke, Steve mm. Gadd on drums, Ralph McDonald. George Duke is credited as vocals, but then there's this mysterious lead vocalist that's credited. And I couldn't find anything else out about him, couldn't find another single credit. Tell me if this sounds like a fake name. Carl Carlwell. <laughs> yes. I, you know, it, it, I suspect that it could be a uh, alias for George Duke. Ooh, you know, huh. maybe it was because sometimes when you appear on somebody else's record, you notice on the back of the records, you see, you know, Eric Clapton appears courtesy of RSO Records, or whatever. They have to be credited if they're not from that particular record label. So if you play on somebody's record and it's not part of the label mm. you're signed to, but you can do it with that credit. I wonder if that stops at being the lead vocalist. So he could be credited as background vocalist, but couldn't be credited ah. as lead vocalist. They came up with this Carl Carlwell name. I don't could know. Be. I'm completely making all that up, but I could not find a single other thing for Carl Carlwell. Hmm. Maybe it's Boss Gags, and that's how you tied <laughs> it in. 
All right. Well, let's get to uh, give us your off the map. Off the map. Uh, real quick, I'm moving to 1995. I'm not making the case that this is Yachty, but what I'm saying is we've talked about the new romantic. This would be very much late descendant of the new romantic era, as I said, mid-90s, but carries a lot of that nice baggage with it. Mm-hmm. Has some nice horns, has some nice chords, has a nice groove. Might sound nice alongside your yacht rock. And this is Simply Red, Lives and Loves. Recently discovered how much more Simply Red there is out there that I really dig. This is an outstanding album yeah. called Life. Outstanding right. top to bottom. I'm going to put it on my list here. Mm-hmm. Check it out. All right. I am going to go back to the um, uh, viewer mailbag for the final off the map. This is uh, listener Larry, who's emailed us in the past. He sent us a nice tune from 1997 by an artist called Pete Belasco. And here is a really yachty tune, All In My Mind. Almost to the same area yeah. that I went with the Simply Red tune. That's in well, neither 97, one of those, right? 1997. Yeah, I, I don't think either one of those songs sound like they came from the 90s. No, not really. No. Wow. Good tune, though. Yeah. Check that one out. Yeah. Hate to say it, though. Um, we are running short on time, though, here. All right. Well, let's say hello. Hello. 